Genesis, been a long journey. I hope that you can say that it's been an enjoyable journey because I certainly can. Preach through the book of Genesis, trying to make application to each chapter as we moved along. You might recall last time we actually had the last chapter, chapter 50. And so I, I thought to myself as we conclude the semester, I'd like to present a summary of the book of Genesis, which is quite a challenge. There's 50 chapters. I'm going to entitle this summary, A Book of Beginnings. I can think of five different major beginnings that happen within the book of Genesis, one of which propels us towards the Christ, and one that I'm not even going to, to really put as part of my list. There's actually six. Uh, one that is the conclusion of the entire story of humanity. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. But anyhow, five new beginnings. Before I go there, though, I'm going to put these questions on the screen so that you can screenshot those. Pretty simple stuff. What's the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth beginning that's listed? Here in just a moment, you're going to get to see those. If you'd like for the mystery, don't listen to the rest of this and just look them up yourself and see if you can figure them out. <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready? <clears throat> a book of beginnings. And I don't know. Oh, that ran off the screen and pulled it down here. Sorry for the look of that. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning. That sounds like a pretty appropriate opening to a book of beginnings. And so that's what we're going to deal with. In the beginning. I want to start off with a timeline. And I do this often when I teach the book of Genesis and uh, just general uh, discussion of, of the book, uh, of God's book, because it, it summarizes it quite nicely. I don't want to go into great detail except for this part here, but I, I will give you in general, if you draw you a timeline and then divide it into thirds, the first 2,000 years is basically Genesis. The second 2,000 years, you're going to travel from basically Abraham or Jacob, that the, the patriarchs. You're going to travel from there to the time of Christ. And then over here, this is you and me. So basically, the world is only a little over six, 7,000 years old. It's not, well, we won't go there. All right, so that's basically the timeline of, human, of the human history, okay? In this opening 2,000 years approximately, just a little over 2,000 years, you're going to have the, the story of Genesis unfold. Within that story, there are going to be five different beginnings that are going to be talked about, one of which is going to culminate right here, uh, and we'll see that at the very conclusion of this particular lesson. But let's, let's walk ourselves through the book of Genesis, looking at these five beginnings. The first beginning is the one that's pretty obvious, and that is creation. Let there be, in the opening, okay? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I would mention to you that... Uh, this uh, statement comes after he creates humanity. Very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And so the opening of Genesis, the first beginning, if you will, is the original beginning. We're going to open the book of Genesis with those profound words, in the beginning God created, and that's where it all starts for you and I. And so the first one is pretty obviously uh, pretty obvious, and that's the creation. The second, however, is one that really intrigues me. The post-garden beginning. <clears throat> Adam is created out of the dust of the earth. Eve then is created from Adam. 
and they're placed in this perfect garden paradise. I mean, they got everything taken care of that they need, and uh, they they do have purpose. God has even provided for that. But I mean, it's it's just like it's perfect, right? And all of a sudden, we have this insertion of of the temptation. And then the, they succumb to the temptation and they have to be separated out from the garden. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the, from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he has taken. That moment in your mind, if you, if you allow yourself to imagine it, you can think of the trauma all you've ever known is the garden. All you've ever known is having perfect access to God. All you've ever known is things being taken care of for you. It was just like, wow. But now because of your choice, you're on the outside of the garden. What did that look like? How did things change? We know from the study of the book of Romans that God cursed the earth. Not just humanity, but he cursed the earth as well. And so as they step outside the garden, it's no longer going to be this place of, of vibrance and uh, a place of, you know, the, 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 the trees and, and, and the, 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 the grass and all the flowers and the plants are just perfect. It's not going to be that anymore. In fact, the illusion here, alluding, not illusion, alluding to, God alludes to the idea that the rest of their life is going to be found in hard labor. They're going to have to work the ground in order to bring it to some semblance of what they had back in the garden. The post-garden beginning would have been a tragic one, and yet one that humanity had to pass through. In fact, we're still in that realm, are we not? I find it remarkable that we, we find, as you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation indicates that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it seems to have this Again, there seems to be alluding, it seems to be alluding to the idea that we're going to be returned to a garden-like scenario, which I can't wait for. That's going to be awesome, you know, whatever the new earth means. And, and so we're going to go back to there in, in that particular setting. But in the meantime, we're in the post-garden beginning. And I, I, I'd just like for you to go back to the, the time of Adam and Eve as they are looking over their shoulder at the cherubim that has been set there so that they can't get back into the garden. And they're thinking to themselves, wow, what have we done? What have we gotten ourselves into? Number three, there is the post-flood beginning. Genesis 9, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. About halfway through the book of Genesis, as far as the timeline is concerned, about a thousand years in, we're going to have the flood. So we got the post-flood beginning. Coming out of the Garden of Eden into this world that has been cursed by God would have been well, overwhelming. The post-flood beginning would have been similar to that, if you think about it. Certainly not as tragic, I suspect, but you're, you're coming into a new world that it, it sounds to me like it'd be basically a mud ball. Uh, there'd be all, you know, be all kinds of, you know, stuff all over, scattered all over from, you know, the, the trees that have been plucked up by the, the great flood and all that kind of stuff. So it sounds to me like it had been a tragic scenario, but it, at the same time, we've got the olive branch that's being brought back by the dove, so the thing's starting to grow again. But it would have been a new beginning, like uh, 
a world where it was just a complete fresh start. The only people on the planet are Noah and Mrs. Noah, his three sons and their wives. I mean, think about that. There are only eight folks on the entire planet. Brand new beginning. The fourth beginning is the covenant beginning. In some ways, one of the most important beginnings even referenced in the book of Genesis. Certainly the creation at the initial is, is huge or we wouldn't even have this, right? Okay, but when you get to the covenant beginning, you're, you're seeing that God is saying, okay, <clears throat> but uh, uh, here, towards the end of the book of Genesis, as Abraham comes on the scene, he says to himself, I'm going to focus in on one family. I'm going to give all of my attention and my, my loyalty and my blessings are going to be on that family. Now, that's not to say that the Gentile world didn't receive uh, things as well. And it's not even to say that some of the Gentiles couldn't be converted to this family, uh, proselytes, etc. But largely it's going to be Abraham and his folks. And I'm going to focus in on those folks. And so when you get to the fourth segment of the book of Genesis, you get to Abraham in a very, very significant covenant, which is going to culminate right here, uh, or climax, I should say, right here. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That blessing, of course, is right here. And so Abraham is, Abram at this point, Abram is going to get the promise from God. That's what a covenant is, or this agreement between him and God. Abraham says, I'll be faithful. My people will be faithful. God says, I'll be faithful. And in that covenant then, we're going to find this interim period right here, where that is the emphasis of the covenant. Now, these people are going to continue beyond the cross. Don't get me wrong. But their purpose is primarily to get us here where the Christ will come. On this side of the cross, we will celebrate their heritage. But it's only because they have become part of the church. But here to here, or I should go here to here, their entire purpose is to get us to the Christ. So the covenant beginning. And then the fifth, which I find to be very, very remarkable, is the promised land beginning. It's only alluded to. We don't see it in the book of Genesis as far as the fulfillment is concerned, but watch these words in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Joseph, that's the son of Jacob, is now speaking. His daddy has just died or, uh, Died earlier in the chapter. He has mourned his father, and now Joseph's about to die. And it says, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. He's not going to leave you down here in Egypt. And he'll bring you up out of this land uh, to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the patriarchs, my daddy, uh, my great-grandpa, my grandpa, those folks that he promised this land to, he said, we're going back there. And when we go, you take my bones with you, was the, was the request of, of Joseph here. But the point of this is that the, the promised land beginning is alluded to. We have the opening suggestions, if you will, of this taking place in the book of Genesis. Spoiler alert, next semester, God willing, we're going to preach our way through the book of Exodus, which is the fulfillment of this promised land journey. They open up in the at the end of the book of Genesis with the vision that we're going. 
But when you open up the book of Exodus, <coughs> we're going to begin the process of getting them there. Okay? So you got these five sections, if you will, in order that kind of divide up the book of Genesis, but they're all five about beginnings. Now, before I end, however, I really want to take you to what would be, I suppose, the ultimate beginning that is alluded to in Genesis. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Here, by way of review again, are those five. But here I'm going to over here give you number six. Ah, oh, baloney. My thing went off screen. Oh, I hate it when I did that. I will put enmity between you and the woman and believe between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head. That red mark is supposed to be over here. Bruise your head. I don't know why I got over here. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy about Satan, the conflict between Satan and the Christ. And he says that Christ will bruise, excuse me, that he, he is going to, the Christ is going to bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. Satan is going to have a moment, Calvary, the crucifixion, in which he thinks he's done away with the Christ, but he hasn't. He's only bruised his heel. Jesus, on the other hand, according to the prophecy of Genesis 3 and 15, will bruise his head. The point is that there is a mortal wound, an ending wound that is going to come to the head of Satan. That's the ultimate beginning, prophesied all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that Jesus the Christ is going to come. And when he comes, Satan will have the opportunity to bruise his heel. But it's not a death blow. Not in the sense of a finality. Jesus, on the other hand, will have the opportunity to bruise his head. That is a death blow. That's a finality. Satan will put Jesus in the, in the tomb. But he comes back to life. That's what we celebrate every Sunday morning. So it's just a, a bruised heel. Jesus is going to put Satan in the fiery pit. And he ain't never coming out. And so in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we've got the ultimate beginning, if you will. Pointing to a time when Satan, sin, evil, it's all out. It's all gone. And we will begin the life of a new heaven and a new earth where God is our companion. He dwells with us. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, here are the questions that I gave you. Again, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. What are the beginnings that I just listed? And if you can't quite get them, you can look them up in these passages and it'll give you the answers. I hope you've enjoyed our study in the book of Genesis. I know I have. It's been really, really good. Thank you so much for being with me each week. I'm, I'm grateful. This is Sonny Child saying, be there. Matthew 16, 26.